technique. Hey, Houston, you're live in the hive with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Hour three, Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, 92.5. He's Joel Blank. I'm Patrick Creighton in for Jeremy Branham. Big Johnny B on the other side of the glass taking over for Joe George, who is bailing on us so that he can go be part of the wheelhouse. He's building his resume. Uh, live from Constellation Field, where uh, the Space Cowboys, it's ESPN 97.5 night at Constellation Field. Oh, really? Field. And if you go to slspacecowboys.com and uh, go to buy your tickets, use promo code ESPN, and you can get tickets for just $9.75, and you will get to see Jordan Alvarez in the lineup tonight. For the Space Cowboys, you will get to see Joel Blank and Brad Kellner throwing out the first pitch. Beaky. And uh, you'll get to have a lot of fun. Uh, also fun, just real quick aside here before we get to the Texans. Uh, all this stuff about the how the Titans oh, yeah. want to basically use throwback Oilers jerseys and throwback Oilers helmets. So uh, Dave Portnoy of Barstool is even banging on the Titans uh, about the Oilers stuff. Uh, when asked, like, which helmet do you want to see with the Oilers jersey for the Titans? He said, how about none since they belong to Houston? Good for Dave Portnoy. I'm not, I haven't always been his fan. I was big on the Goodell thing when he did the T-shirts with the clown nose on them. <laughs> Those are great. Um, but that's what everybody should be thinking. This is a petty Adams family move that they're trying to do just to for this very reason, to get under the skin of the fans in the city of Houston because they're bitter that they had to leave no matter what. And now that there's a team that's made them forget about how bad the Adams family was when they were here, this is their last-ditch effort to try and take another kick in the groin for Houston. Way back when, they didn't want to be the Oilers. The fans in Nashville did not. They rejected the Oilers' name. They demanded a new name. They refused to show up for two years one in Memphis and one in Nashville. Refused to show up because that's not our team. Now you're going to use throwback jerseys for them? Bleep that. Bleep that whole franchise. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Because I think that the one thing that always pained me was looking up in that stadium and seeing legendary Houston football names and their jerseys hanging in a stadium in a city that there was no connection to other than a scorned family that left town. So... It bothered me. But what bothers me more, Pat, which I talked about yesterday, was the fact that if they are so beloved in Houston and Houston loves their Love You Blue days so much, then shame on the Texans for not trying to keep that those memories alive in Houston by doing more for this team. Because the one thing that it really pained me was reading the articles when they honored the Oilers teams in Nashville last year was hearing Warren Moon, was hearing Pastorini, was hearing these ex- Oilers greats talk about, hey, at least they recognize and appreciate us in Nashville. They don't do anything for us like this in Houston. And I don't know if that's the it's the, the Texans franchise kind of going back on the pettiness to say, well, they're not our franchise. They're not part of our history. We're not doing it, as opposed to being above it and saying, we love football in the, in the city of Houston. We appreciate what these guys meant football-wise and otherwise to the city of Houston we want to honor them no matter whose, whose team has their stats. We know their names are beloved here. Yeah, I think part of that is the issues with the Titans because when, when they moved, Paul Tagliabue 
agreed to give them all intellectual property of, of the Houston Oilers. Yeah, the Derek logo, the colors. And they retired the name. So the name is retired so that nobody else could have it. So everything Oilers belongs to the Titans, even though it's got nothing to do with that franchise. I mean, they are essentially a new franchise. They're like, they're no different than the Baltimore Ravens, you know, leaving all the Cleveland stuff behind and just being a new franchise. The Titans are no different than that because they've got all that Oilers history and it sits in a box. But see, here's my thing, Pat. That's why I'm saying. So you can say all those things and they're facts. And so I know as an organization, I can't go and try and call myself the Oilers in a rebrand. I can't go and get the colors and do the things that I might want to do, though I think you can get another color of light blue and do similar. But the biggest way that you can get back at them and treat your fans the right way and the players that need to be treated the right way is those players didn't sign any deals. Those players, still, a lot of them still live in Houston to where you can bring them to a game just like you honor anybody else to be your honorary captain or be honored on the field, and you can say, Houston, this is for you. Love You Blue will always be a part of the city of Houston, and today is Love You Blue Day, or however you phrase it, whether there's trademarks or not, in the city of Houston at the Texans game. So we're going to bring back Warren Moon and Earl Campbell and all the other legendary Oiler greats to say we love you, and because we are Houston, we love you, and you will always be a part of Houston that we love you. Forget if the, this is the best way to get back at the Titans and basically say, screw you, we'll do what we have to do to be do the bigger, better team, but also do the right thing for the city of Houston. There's two jersey designs I'd love to see uh, the Texans do. Do you remember in the mid-'90s when the San Diego Chargers at that time, they had come out with these new jerseys where they were two-tone. They were white on the front and dark blue in the back. And it had the blue, the dark blue with the yellow outline number on the front, and then on the back it was the opposite. It was the white with the... I don't remember that. So uh, I remember having one because it was LaDainian Tomlinson's rookie year. Okay. And uh, because he was my first pick in that... Uh, I, I, I got him in the fourth round. He was my first running back pick in, in a football draft. I got him in the fourth round and won that league because of him. And I went out and bought two Tomlinson jerseys, one in the powder blue, and then one in this one, which was the white front and the blue back. I'd love to see them do something where, let's say, they did the uh, the pow- the the what we what uh, Hannah McNair called Houston blue mm-hmm. on the front, and then the deep steel blue on the back. And then you know how the Astros do the jersey, uh, the Tequila Sunrise jersey, where you yeah. got the rainbow and the flare on the side. Yeah. Can we get, uh, say? The, one of the Texans jerseys to create that Houston blue as the flare on the side. Or it's maybe- almost like the City Connect jerseys where you, you remember the history of your squad with not as to the extreme of the just overly busy Rockets that had the pinstripes and the different logos, the, the jerseys that they've worn the last couple of years. But just do something more subtle that still pays tribute to say, we remember you, you're still a part of us as a, as football in Houston. No matter what we can and can't do to do more, we're doing something to honor the greats that played in this city playing NFL football and doing a lot of really great things that people will never forget. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I would have liked to have seen them, but I, I, I do wonder if it, part of it is there are certain restrictions that they do. Well, well, a lot of the rumblings keep. are that the Texans, when they do this rebrand on the uniforms, are going to go to a powder blue. It's not going to be a love you blue, or it's not going to be the exact Columbia blue or whatever it is that the Oilers claim that they have the rights to. 
but it'll be a light blue, it's and a, there'll be a red, and there'll be a white, and the, there'll be a, a. It'll be close. The blue is badass. You've seen it, yeah. Okay. Um, they had some renditions of it last night. In fact, last night one of the things that they had us do was they're unveiling uh, a new branding, so they're making shirts and hats and whatnot, and it's going to be the H. Mm-hmm. And they they showed two different styles. Of the H. So people who are on the, the fan committee, they've already voted on this. Uh, they had various things. And then they had all the media who were there last night. We all voted on it. And they were just like, tell us which one you like and tell us why. Convince and, me that the H is a good thing. Oh, the H is really cool. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I liked, I liked, uh, there was, there were two versions of it. And there was one that I really liked. Because some of the things that were leaking out earlier, I was like, eh, not so good, not so much. But if they do it the right way, I'm all for it. And they had on a blue background because that's going to be part of the, the new colors. Uh, at least for, for this, there's going to be a color that's that blue. And it's not the exact same blue from the oil. It's very close. It's not the exact same blue, but it looks really sweet. See, this is breaking new stuff. This is great stuff for Patrick Creighton. And, and that, that's great for people to know because I'm pleased to hear something like that. Because I think the next step after that, Pat, is to do what we're talking about and start saying, hey, we're going to bring back Bruce Matthews. We're going to bring back the Love You Blue Legends. We're going to do the things to say it doesn't matter what the league says we can't wear or be called or other things. What matters is we love what was done in this city in the history of professional football, and we will always honor it and respect it and cherish it. The fans would love that, and you would look like a step above what the Adams family is doing by doing this petty little stuff to try and take jabs back at Houston and the and, and the, the, the city. And that's it. It happened here in front of these fans. That's right. The fans in Nashville, they ZFG on anything to do with the Houston Oilers. So why not have that here? And I think that is part of – they mentioned it last night at this event that they are working behind the scenes and whatnot. They are working to try to be able to – implement that particular color into new merchandise and maybe into a future uh, team apparel thing. But there's still work to be done as far as what they're allowed to do, how far they can push, what the, but they're working on it. Well, so, good luck with that because I think as long as Amy Adams is in charge of, of the Titans, she remembers the, the vitriol and the, the, the whole whatever Bud Adams did and the venom that he still possessed until he went to, to his grave about the situation. And she's probably not going to give anything up. No, but you remember from the Houston sports uh, awards, Callahan, uh, Callahan McNair on, on television and Hannah said, I don't think it's oil or blue. I think it's Houston blue. That was the first hint of what they were really going to try to do. And, and look, I, I think it'd be credit fun to them for trying it. to do it. All right. Texans over under next. ESPN 97.5.com. Is it football season yet? The men who play it are the best there are. Disciplined professionals who perform on a stage a hundred yards long. Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Now, Johnny B brings a little flavor. Maybe there's a little, there's a little eyesed. Maybe there's a little bit of eyesed. He's Joe Blank. I'm Patrick Creighton in for Jeremy Branham. Uh, let's do a little Texans over under. Let's start off with the quarterback. 
C.J. Stroud. Joel, C.J. Stroud over or under 3,100 yards passing? I'm going to go slightly under. Under? Yeah. I, I just don't. Look, their receiving room is not great. And we've already kind of highlighted how rookie quarterbacks don't have success right out right off the jump as a starter, no matter what you got around you. And obviously, Brock Purdy was an exception to the rule last year. But I'll say slightly under because I just I don't like all the weapons that he has at receiver, and I don't know how they're going to pan out. So I'll go under. What say you? I am going to go over. Oh. Davis Mills threw for 3,118 yards last year in 15 games, and he sucked. Uh, I do not expect C.J. Stroud to suck. No. He's going to have some rookie struggles here and there because every rookie quarterback will. Uh, but I expect him to be wholly better than Davis Mills. Sure, of course. But don't you year. also think that with Bobby Slowick's offense, they're going to capitalize on Pierce. They're going to spread it out. And that, look, at its best with Shanahan and an offense, they, they don't look for a quarterback to go pass happy. Uh, agreed. But I do think he will be better than... Well, there's no, I agree on the fact he'll be better than Davis Mills. CJ Stroud over or under 20 passing touchdowns. Um slightly under. Under again. Under again. Again, this is his first year. I'm not expecting him to take the and I don't think he has the 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 team around him yet to take the entire league by storm. I'm expecting to see a lot of progress and a lot of good things from him. But I'm going to I'm going to border on the conservative side on both of these. Right. Apparently I'm a little more bullish on the Texans than you are this year. I'm going to take the over. Okay. Uh Davis Mills 17 touchdowns last year. Uh the team threw for 20 when you add in two from Kyle Allen and even one from Jeff Driscoll. Mm. Uh I'm going to take over on 20 touchdowns. I feel like you don't have 3100 yards and 20 touchdowns. You had a Dog bleep year. Well, I don't think he's going to have a dog bleep year, but I think he's going to have a, boy, I got I got some things to learn here because I think that I, the same thing I think of Richardson with Indianapolis and, and even Young in, in Carolina. I just think there's so much to have to get through and figure out that I don't think year one they're going to have over-type numbers. Last one on Stroud. Uh, over or under 15 interceptions. I'll say under again. Under again. I'll say that at least he'll take care of the football enough, and he's a precise passer, unlike Davis Mills. Uh, I think that I think he, he'll keep it under. I'll think slightly under. I'm taking the under. 15 to, uh, interceptions is what Davis Mills threw last season. There you go. Uh, so I'm going to take the under there. Let's go to uh, the running back position. Not Damian Pierce. I think we all know who Damian Pierce is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin Singletary, 200 yards rushing for the season, over or under? What is the number? 200. Passing yards? Rushing 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 yards. yards. Over. Over, okay. Yep. 250 receiving yards. Over. Over. Okay, I have over on both of those. Yes. Last season, Daria Gumbawali was their second leading rusher. Badger, be careful now. 123 yards. No, look, we know what this guy can do. He's not a between the tackles every down back, but he's a guy that has versatility and can catch the football out of the backfield. And as bad as I just said the receivers are going to be and the position that it puts them in from a, a C.J. Stroud statistic pers- uh, pers- pers- statistical pers- uh, perspective. perspective, 
I believe that you're going to see a lot of production out of the secondary running back this year. And I think Singletary is a guy that's going to really be a best friend to C.J. Stroud. So I think I'll go over on both and, and feel very confident about that. Leading receiver out of the backfield last year, Rex Burkhead, 204 yards. Well, I think he'll, Singletary can blow that out of the water. All right, let's go with uh, let's go with Robert Woods, seven hundred yards receiving, over or under. Well, that's a tough one. I want to believe that he's going to have a really good kind of resurgent year, but I just don't know what he's got left in the tank at what he can be. I don't know who the number if I don't know who the number one receiver on this team is right now, and who's gonna who I feel is going to lead the team in in receiving yards. Then I, I don't think I can feel good about Robert Woods getting all the – it's not that much, especially in a 17-game season. I will say under, but barely. Okay. I'm taking over, but not by a lot. Right. Do you, I mean, do you, you think he is the number – he's their wide receiver one? I think he's their wide receiver two-ish. Because Jeremy and I and Joe have gone back and forth a million different times on this. Who do you think is going to lead this team in in receiving yards this year? If things work out the way they hope they work out, Nico Collins evolves into the number one receiver. Uh, all reports are that he and C.J. Stroud had a very, uh, very good uh, working relationship. They they had a good uh, camaraderie. They had a good chemistry uh, in the off season so far. This is a really important year for Nico Collins. Absolutely, uh, this is kind of the year where either. He is going to ascend the role of, of number one receiver that they envisioned for him when they took him three years ago, or he might not be around next season. This right. is a make or break for I'm him. I'm surprised to hear you say that he could be the number one. I, I, you know who I think is going to lead this team in receptions? Dalton Schultz. Uh, the guy that I think very receiving well yards, could lead the team in uh, receiving yards is John Mechie. I, I would hope that's the case. I would feel a lot better about that. But I think that, again, because of the receiver room right now and because Dalton Schultz is a proven pass catcher, that C.J. Stroud is going to be looking to his checkdowns. That means Singletary and Dalton Schultz are not only going to be big pieces of this puzzle, they're going to get the opportunity to, to produce, and I think that they'll take advantage of it. So Dalton Schultz, 500 receiving yards as a tight end over or under. I'm going over. That would have him better than uh, Jordan Aikens from a year ago. Which he damn well better be. Which was 495 yards. Yeah. And that's not a lot to ask. He's, to me, he's their best tight end since OD. No doubt. Not only that, but he might be their best receiver, period. Well, I hope not. For next season. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> for not. next season. Tank Dell could develop into something. Mechie, it's just, there's just too many uncertainties to say he's going to be. He could be. Dalton Schultz is a proven commodity. That should be a guy that could give you more than 500 receiving yards and be a focal point of your offense for a rookie quarterback. That's the, the part that makes you nervous, right? Nico Collins has shown he has talent, but he has trouble staying on the field. Robert Woods has had plenty of injuries over the course of his career. How much damage was done to him last year by playing with a quarterback that couldn't throw the ball six feet? Uh, John Mechie has gone through cancer, and then he uh, had a, a injury mm-hmm. uh, in earlier in, uh, in, in off OTAs that he didn't get any work in. Dell's a rookie, so we really know what we're getting from him. You're right. Schultz is the only guy that you fit, that you think of and go, that guy's going to be reliable. That guy's going to play. Well, and, and to both of their for the for the fans and for the organization's benefit, both Woods 
and Schultz are playing for new deals. So they're betting on themselves, and they're hoping to show, whether it's here or elsewhere, that they're worthy of multiple years at good money. I believe of the two, Schultz has the best chance to make that happen, and I believe that if he does, he's going to go well over 500 yards receiving. He's going to have a boatload of touchdowns in the red zone. He's going to do the kinds of things that he did in Dallas. I don't know what Woods still has. I don't know what he can still do. I'm not sure that he's the right guy for this situation, but he's on the roster. He's going to play at least to start with because he's a veteran that's experienced that can do things at least from the receiver room to the preparation standpoint and knowing the playbook. Other than that, if I'm betting on one of the two, I'm not betting on Robert Woods. No, look, if Robert Woods is fully healthy, he's your Brandon Cook's replacement without the attitude problems. If he's not healthy, we have no idea what the hell he is. Right. Uh, let's go to the defensive side. Will Anderson, over, under, five and a half sacks. <sighs> Boy. Um, I want to say over. I don't. You know what? And, and I'll say over because oh. because I think when you look at Hutchinson and you look at some of the guys in the past, even if they're on teams that are trying to figure out who they are defensively and what they're going to do, if you're good, you, you're you going to get some things done a lot easier than you are on the offensive side of the ball. And I believe that they're going to use Will Anderson to his strengths. They're going to move him around. They're going to make him athletic and, and, and speed rush and do some things to wreak havoc. I think he can get to five and a half or more. Five and a half would have made him the second highest uh, total on the team on the team last year, and uh, he should be. Ogbo Okoronkwo had five sacks last. He's year. He's going over. He was number two. Uh, will Anderson over under nine tackles for loss? Over. Again, that would have been second on the team. Oh, this last is not year. why you draft. This is why you traded to draft him where you did. This is why. Your head coach, a defensive-minded head coach, wanted this guy on his team. This is what he's supposed to do, and I believe, again, a lot easier to do it defensively than offensively in your first year in the league. I believe over. Derek Stingley Jr., over-under, two interceptions. Over. I think he he, he should be able to walk into two interceptions. I think that if he's truly to be where you drafted him to be, he doesn't have to be sauce right away, although it would be nice. Regardless of whether you drafted the right guy or not, this guy has too much ability. He's obviously focused and con- and is concentrating on it enough that he's bulked up. He's become more physical, but he still looks healthy and-, and has his speed. And I believe he knows he has a lot to prove. I think he's going to have a really good year, and I think two interceptions should be part of that or more, and I think he gets those. Jalen Petrie had five picks last year. Mm-hmm. No one else on the team had more than two. He's going to have more than two. I, I think he's going to be a utilized much better by D'Amico. Stop playing zone every play. And when think about the zone that they played last year and the talent that they had and how many times you would see Stingley releases a guy across the zone, nobody ever picks him up, he's wide open, 20-yard catch. And people be, I remember people being frustrated. Well, why is, it Stingley, why is Stingley letting that guy go? Because it, he, they're playing zone. Right. And once you leave the zone... The guy in the zone he's gone into is supposed to pick him up. They never did that. You know, for all the tackles Jonathan Owens had last year, when it came to picking guys up, entering his zone, he was terrible. Everybody caught the ball if they, they went across the middle. Everybody Super caught Super excited he's the Packer now. I, I can see that mm. you are dripping with sarcasm. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Nope. 
How are you? Uh, how are you feeling about uh, a? Oh, everybody knows there's absolutely no love it, it lost. I hope he gets lost. I don't believe in Jordan Love. I believe that the Packers are going to get one of the three best quarterbacks in the draft next year, no matter how good the rest of the roster is. I've seen enough of Jordan Love that all these people that have seen like a Monday night, a national TV game where they were out of it, where he threw some decent passes that people were ogling over. I don't expect anything from Jordan Love. How, how do you feel about Green Bay, Wisconsin being named the number one drunkest city in America? Probably, I think they're only third in the state. But I think that if they're number one in the NFL, I could see it. Number one in America. I think Milwaukee, Madison, and Madison especially with the college town aspect of it too. But I think Milwaukee, based on the fact that no no one really goes to Green Bay unless you live in Green Bay for except for Packer games, that's fine to say it as it relates to the NFL. But in the state, they're probably third or fourth. Yeah, they they were there was a new list that came out that had them number one. I was like, and seven of the kids top get 10... waned off the nipple and go right to beer in Wisconsin. <laughs> it's not about Green Bay; it's about the state. Seven of the top ten cities were in Wisconsin. Two of them were in North Dakota. <laughs> and there you go. Don't you know? You betcha. Coming up next, it's time for the Wheel of Bits on the Killer Bees. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Now with more nougat. You and Lance didn't f- for a year. That's just because he dabbed all the time. It's the Wheel of Bits on the Killer Bees. Kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm going to get me some kibbles and bits. Who knows the bits the bees will begrudgingly bite? Well, let's find out. It's time for Beth Bees. Here's Joel and Jeremy. And Joe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Joel Blank, the one person on this show that works, I'm in for Jeremy. Johnny B, in for Joe George. It's time for the Wheel of Bits. Johnny B, do you know what the Wheel of Bits is going to spin out for us today? I do. For today's Wheel of Bits, we have pet peeves. Specifically, what are your ballpark pet peeves? Ballpark pet peeves. Mm, I know someone that's normally lurking in the Twitch chat that has a major pet peeve with something at a ball game. I know Dr. Dre on 290 would like to eviscerate the wave and all that do it. And anytime that they do do it, he is the first to write a diatribe on every social media account to let people know how ludicrous they are and how unacceptable the behavior is. Cosine. You're with that, huh? Oh, I hate the wave. Yeah, I'm not big on participating. I really hate the wave, right? In the top of the eighth, in a 2-1 game, two on, two out, 2-2 two, two count, people are doing the friggin' wave. Like, there's a game going on. Yeah. We're at a key, key point of the game, and, and you're doing the stupid way. You don't do the wave when you're down 6 nothing in the third. Do the wave in the first inning when there's nothing going on. Do the wave in a game where you're up 9-2. And you're bored out of your mind. Don't do the wave in a tight game, late in the game, big spot. They're doing the, Every single person should get Thanos snapped. Yeah, I, I, look, I get that there's a right and a wrong time to do it. Um, it's just that I'm not, I don't lose a whole lot of sleep over people that do the wave. And I know that there are a lot of people that take passion to another level when they talk about what they want to do to people that do the wave. But I get, like you're saying, in a key moment in the game, look, because one of my biggest pet peeves is the people that stand up in front of you for no apparent reason 
for a majority of the game. And the caveat is, if it's a playoff game and the, the entire building is hyped and, and whatever, I get everybody standing, right? Especially now that I have kids and my daughter can't see anything going. I did this at a U of H game over at, um, at the Vertita Center. This guy in front of me, and literally was sitting in front of my daughter, and his bigger guy, he just thought he should stand the entire game. No one else was standing, and my daughter couldn't see. And I'm like, I get it. You paid for your ticket. You can do whatever you want. But, like, if it's razzing a guy to miss a free throw, if it's celebrating a run where your team is blowing out, you know, blowing open a game or doing some great things, everyone should be standing. But if it's first half, five minutes in, nothing big happening either way, I don't see any reason why you got to stand the entire time unless you're in the student section. You know what? We paid for our tickets too. And if you're going to stand in front of my daughter and I'm going to ask you to sit down and you're going to tell me to go to hell, I'm going to ask you to sit down and you're going to tell me to go to hell, you might get hit with something. Might be wet. Might be more than once. I mean, I don't, I don't fault you for that because, like, you know, good thing is, as I said, hey, man, you got to sit down. I was like, I get it. I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. But, like, my daughter is seven. And she wants to see what's going on, too. And he, he respectfully, I get it. And I was like, look, I'm not trying to be that guy. If they go on a run or you get fired up, go for it. But, like, at least I can let her sit on my lap or I can move her in a way where she can see it. But if it means, like, missing the entire first half because you just feel like standing, go stretch your legs on the concourse. But he was cool with it. Pet peeve. The guy who stands up and tries to get everybody else to stand up and is yelling and screaming oh, yeah, at yeah, everyone yeah. to get up. He's trying to be like Fireman Ed type thing where he's standing there yelling and screaming, waving his arms, get up, get up. Right. Like, this is not, you know, eighth inning, uh, bases loaded, one out, and right. you're down by a run. This is just, you know, fourth inning, nothing going on. But this guy thinks he's super fan and is going to yell at everybody to get up uh, at – at Mets games, there was a guy named Cowbell Man. He used to walk around with a a cowbell jersey, and he sit there and bang a cowbell all damn game. And every time he would come near me, I'd want to kill him. Yeah, that's yeah, that's brutal. Uh, I agree with you. Like, you can't tell me what to do once I buy the ticket, right? It's like when the Rockets used to say that not only if when you have tickets, they were trying to force you to be there for tip off. Because they they knew that it was always a late arriving crowd, and so they tried to handle something, handle their business the way it's none of their business. And, and most of the season ticket holders told them so. Go fly a kite. I bought the ticket. It's in my name. It's like an airline ticket. I can show up and leave whenever I feel like it, and I don't need pressure from you to say what I have to do. And I think it's the same way to an extent, right? I think that you can have your ticket, and if you want to cheer, cheer. Like I just said, if the dude's standing in front of me because it's a big moment and he wants to cheer, but don't tell the rest of the section they have to do it too. Some people aren't capable. Some people aren't a fan. Some people are there for other reasons, but you can't force feed it and then get mad when they don't do it. I used to love to take my kids to games. I very rarely take them to professional games now. I take them to a minor league game, but I really don't take them many. Why is that? Because... Uh, unless you're utilizing your relationships in the media to get pretty good tickets. If you're buying tickets, you're probably sitting in the 300 sections or, or up higher unless you want to you know, throw down a couple of car notes. I don't like to throw down a couple of car notes, not going to lie. And the further up you go, the more you get the drunk, rowdy, I'm going to throw a beer at you and let's fight crowd. 
And the last three games that I took my kids to that were major league games with baseball or, or football, and we sat up 300 sections or higher, there was a fight within one section of us. And, you know, I got little kids with me. I mean, they're, they're teenagers now. But back then, they were, they were yeah, smaller yeah. kids. And they don't care. Women, kids, disabled people. Well, we they see the videos making on social media all the time. It's way too prevalent. They're, they're throwing beers and throwing food. And people who aren't even involved suddenly just, like, third man in, out of nowhere, throwing haymakers on people who are totally blind to them. As if, like, somehow, like, what? why are you even involved in this? I, I don't – that's not what I'm not a game for. I'm not in a game to watch the fans, you know, do bum fights. Like, I'm not here for that. And that is a huge pet peeve of mine. The amount of drunken idiots that find their way into the upper ends of the stadium. I get that. Look, I, I think that the other thing is, as E said on, on Twitch, I, I think you have to have the wherewithal to understand – the cussing part of this too, and or the fighting, right? There's kids. The one that just was ripped my guts out was the one where you had, it was the Dodgers were here, I believe, and the Dodgers and the Astros fans got into it. And then the the, the man and the woman left the seven-year-old kid sitting in a seat while they were both trying to throw haymakers and getting involved in massive confrontation. And you're like, what about the kid? And what about what the, the you know what kind of an example you're setting? And what about all the language that was being thrown around as well? It's not just about you, but it's you're you're being a role model for your kids, and the people should be respectful in the section around that too. That was just a total fail. CPS online one, CPS online one, definitely bad. And I, just before we go to break, I'm curious, where are you on the whole foul ball, home run ball situation? Because they always put pressure on you. You got to throw it back, or you got to give it to a kid. I don't disagree, but at the same time, it's their choice. If that's the first ball that they've ever caught and they want to keep it, good on them. Why should that be me playing God telling them what they have to do? Um, I will tell you that like, if, if as a Mets fan, if somebody caught a Chipper Jones home run, see playing against the Mets, we would scream, throw it back, because bleep Chipper Jones. Uh, if But like, if somebody else had hit, hit a home run and let's say it was uh, – like a like a a home run for a, a guy on the Cardinals or on the Cubs or on the whoever. I don't think there was as much pressure to throw it back as much as it was specific hated players. But a lot more from a lot more teams. stadiums are doing that now. Anybody catches a home run if it's for the other team, you have to throw it back. That's a no, Cubs tradition. Doesn't. That but right, it started with the Cubs, but now everybody's trying to do it. If that's the first home run ball you've ever caught in your life, and that mean and you're excited and that means something to you. Keep the damn thing. No, I'm I'm way less interested in did you throw the ball back than I am in are you the guy who parked in two or more spaces in the parking lot? I want to slash your tires. Fair enough. All right, one more segment to go on the base. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph Procedure. He does other things too, and he's a wonderful plastic surgeon, but the thing that I'm concentrated on telling you about is the thing that I had done personally, and that's the Neograph Procedure. It's a phenomenal procedure that gets your hair back. You might be losing it in front in your hairline. You might be losing it on top where you're never going to lose it on the sides and the back. Genetically, that's a fact. And what he does is he takes some of that hair from the sides and the back and he puts it where you need it most. Primarily, if you're losing and having, you know, pattern baldness or you've already got bald spots, he can restore hair in those areas. 
And the best news about it is once he does that, the hair is going to stay. It's going to grow. It's going to get longer. It's going to be stronger. And it's going to be there for the long haul for you. That's what you needed to know. That was the game changer for me. Right now, all you got to do is go to 975hair.com. And you can check out Doc Linville and his site, all the different ways that he offers you the Neograph procedure, and then sign up for a consultation. It normally costs 150 bucks, but for you as a listener of ESPN 97.5, you get it for absolutely free. Go in and ask questions. Get answers. Nothing on the line. No obligation. No cash out of pocket. You make the call. If it's something you want to explore further, get into a conversation with them about getting the procedure done. Find out how it works, how long the recovery time takes, when you see the full results. And the thing that got me the most... 95 to 99% of the follicles that are moved are going to stay and grow and be with you to, for the rest of your life. That's why I did it. That's why you should consider it, too. Check them out today, 975hair.com. Go see my friend, Doc Linville. ESPN, 97.5 and 92.5. Sweet, sassy, molassy. Clever metaphors and catchphrases escape me, like a fat girl waving her trophy from the smell contest. Sweet, sassy, molassy. I'm trying my best here. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. All right, final segment of the Bees before the wheelhouse, uh, the wheelhouse known as uh, BK and Joe George today. Beaky and Joey. Uh, Live from Constellation Field for ESPN 97.5 day at the stadium. Joe, I love Lane Kiffin. I love Lane Kiffin because Lane Kiffin gives us sound bites that I love. Lane Kiffin goes from very serious to mega troll very, very quickly. And uh, Lane was kind enough to give us some some fodder at SEC Media Days. First one was when a, a reporter was telling Lane Kiffin that people think that the reporter looks like Lane Kiffin. The the reporter's mom even thought he looked like Lane Kiffin. Because I sent that to my mom, and she was like, "Is that you?" Like she did not know that they had. Hmm. What's your mom's name? (laughs) (laughs) That is classic troll Lane Kiffin. I love it. I love that he is comfortable enough in his skin to you know be like that and joke around with people because so many. Coaches, they they just won't. They won't do it. I I just think, I mean, I've never been a Lane Kiffin fan after he kind of left U of H hanging and he's done all this jumping ship and all this stuff. I feel bad that he had to deal with Saban, but he wanted to. But at the same time, you're right. He is very refreshing sometimes with the fact that he, he plays the game with the media. Now, you mentioned he's been in and out of programs fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, he was in and out of Tennessee very quickly. He was asked about the penalties that Tennessee just got for their breaking of the rules. Here's Lane Kiffin. But I didn't take long. Um, I got a lot of thoughts on that case and the case at USC and the case at Tennessee and penalties and all that. And, I'm not really going to get into that. Um, we're here to talk about the Ole Miss team. You know, 
happy for Coach Heupel. I read where he was ecstatic about the penalties and the $8 million fine, so that kind of probably tells you about how severe the penalties are in their eyes. So um, I'm happy for them that they don't have to go through what we went through. Um, so good for them. Not going to talk about it? Hold on, let me talk about it. Not not at all bitter. <laughs> not any spilled milk to clean up here, sir. Okay. Little little salty. A bit. Uh, you mentioned, you know, hey, he chose to rebuild himself and in, in his coaching uh, resume with Nick Saban. Earlier this week, Paul Feinbaum said, if Saban fails to make another CFP, it would tarnish his legacy. Uh Lane Kiffin not having that. Well, I'm extremely grateful to Coach Saban and our time together, and most importantly, him giving me an opportunity to, to learn from him. And, um, I mean, he's the best to ever do it. I've said it before. I really do believe he is the best coach to ever do it because, like you guys know in here, I kind of know information and look at it instead of just like, okay, a record. He's done it in a time of scholarship limitations where some of those older coaches didn't have them and they could – I mean, what, what if Nick Saban didn't have an 85 rule? What would his roster look like if he had 150 scholarships to give? And also he's done what I don't think anybody did over time of do it continually with so much staff turnover. You know, so many, so many people are hired off of his staff. Other places are to be head coaches. And, you know, it's kind of like – man, all these first-round picks, and he loses these coordinators, like, you know, that's why we have fine moms, so he can motivate him every other year and say, oh, his dynasty's over, and, and, you know, this is the end of Saban, and then we're like, hey, thanks a lot for pissing him off. Okay. I mean, look, the one thing I do like is at least he's appreciative of what he got from Saban because, let's be honest, on the way out, it was – Less than stellar. It was time to go. Yeah, and it was leaving him at the building, and Saban taking off with the team and the buses, and it was, you know, the subsequent parting shots in the media all the time that he that Saban gets called out for by Kiffin on social media. But at least at the end of the day, I think Saban would be pleased to hear Kiffin say something like that and understand. Hey, look, it's not like I I didn't think that without you, my career might have been totally different. So at least he appreciates that. It's like let's let's look at the eight hundred pound girl in the room. And let him freaking sleep. Okay. Yeah, really? Seriously? <laughs> don't, don't poke him. Don't prod him. Don't, you know, give him a hot foot. Leave him the hell alone. <laughs> we don't need Nick Saban being ticked off, especially when he plays us. All right. Don't, don't need that. Just leave him alone. Shut up, Paul Feinbaum. Because Feinbaum is always, you know, poking at Saban. It's oh, he like, loves doing it. Yeah. He loves going at Nick. It, I guess I'd understand if Nick Saban, you know, wasn't all that accomplished. But when you have the most national titles, in history, you'd think you'd get more than a man. If he misses one more college football playoff, this guy's a bum. Like, see, I mean, you look at it. You might not like it, but if you look at it, Saban and Belichick. There's just no argument. I mean, those two are the best to ever do it in their given professions and leagues. I mean, you may not like it. You may think that there were things to it that maybe that they used to get through it. But at the same time, you can't fault what happened. You can't say. And take away the championships, the success, the consistent winning, the dynasties that were created by these guys. And then look at the rest of their careers and say, okay, yeah, you want to nitpick, fine. But 
the Super Bowls and the national championships and all the things done, they are who they are. All right, Joel. We got a couple of minutes left. Rather than get into any of this other stuff, I know you and Jeremy usually do a what are the wheelies going to open up with, but the wheelies aren't the wheelies today. It's it's Brad Kellner and Joe George. Right. What do you expect is going to be the big topic on their show today? What's their lead topic on their show today? Oh, I don't think there's any question that it's going to be Joe and BK talking about this dominating Astros victory last night and and all the reasons why this team is ready for bear and buckle your seatbelts because they're about to go on a roll and absolutely blow the doors off of every other team in baseball. So you don't think it's going to open with something football related? Uh, No, because I, I know that Joe George is on the show and I know that Joe has common sense and wits about him enough to, and BK is impressionable enough that they can be steered clear of that distractional discretion discretionary topic that should not be mentioned. Easy for me to say. Yeah, supposedly BK was at the event yesterday. I just didn't see him. So well, he's a skinny guy, man. You can get lost in the crowd real easy. He uh, he must have uh, snuck my dude in. though. BK is my guy. B- Jeremy called him Beaky this week and then decided to just lean on it. Beaky? Yeah. Like Beaker from the Muppets? Instead of BK, he called him Beaky. I just know that Kellner's my dude. And and on that show, especially, Kellner's my dude. So I, in, in Kellner, I trust. And then he's got Joe. So then it gets a little dicey. So does that if, if BK is your dude, does that mean that Jake is Jeremy's dude? Maybe. Cause... I, it's pretty safe to say he's anybody but my dude. But you guys are best friends. No, we're not. Come on. You even gave him a a, a very endearing nickname. Once upon a time, Pat. Once upon a time. I mean, everybody took to that. Everyone who listens to this station thought it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And they all jumped in on it. How can anybody say you guys are best friends? Except a couple. Yeah, but that guy left. Couple, I said. Some are still here. Does it count as a couple? I I didn't say they're dating. I just said there's a couple that are still left. It's going to do it for us for today. Appreciate Joel Blank, Joe George, Johnny B. On Thank you, Johnny B. Thank you, PC. Uh, coming up live from Constellation Field in Sugarland, Wheelhouse. It's next. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Pitter Patter. Well,